All right. Well, um, our text this morning will be Romans. The question we'll be dealing with is Romans 7, 7. Um, and we'll read a little bit ahead of that. Let me uh, get teed up here. Um, you know, these, these questions, let's see. These questions have, uh, you know, as far as it, just, just as a recap, um, we are basically focusing in from death, death to life. And that's, that's from Romans five twelve to, to Romans eight 11. We're going from Adam, um, and we're looking at the re reality that we were all affected by, by sin from Adam and that we were a slave to sin, but we're looking at the process and, and that sin leads to death. And we're looking at the process of how we, we um, are raised to the newness of life. And we have the idea of the first Adam and the second Adam um, and Christ is being that second Adam and how in the first Adam, um, all men fell into sin, but all men that are made righteous are made through by the, by the, by the second Adam. And so we're getting to the part of the process now where we're getting into looking at the law and its role in um, our, our journey from death to life. And um, I think one of the, the simplest misunderstandings that, um, that we all make at some point and you can see it in the church, if you've been in the church at any point in time, is that we, um, we see the, the law as the way to, be, to make us right with God. Um, in the Old Testament, it's kind of communicated that way, um, that this is a, a means of being made right with, um, with God. Well, the standard of the law is that you have to, to, to live it out from start to end all of your life, um, without any error whatsoever. And so regardless of how good we can keep the, the standard of the law, nobody's that good. Um, it would require us to give our very best and for all of our life. Um, so we, we're left seeing that by the law that no one can accomplish it well enough to save their souls. Um, so that's bad news. That's depressing news. That's discouraging news. And as you have dealt with the world and society, um, especially in our day, you see people that are that when they are angry at what they consider Christianity, a lot of times they're angry at at at, at the law. Um, the old adage that you may hear from time to time, maybe not as much now as from a couple of years ago is um, they're beating me over the head with the Bible. And so, you know, a lot of that is where the spirit is not working in someone's heart. And so the word is there and all the person feels is condemnation and shame. And they want to run and hide from that. Um, and we see rebellion come from that. We see people act out and um, say, I don't want to hear your Christianity anymore. I don't want to hear your rules anymore. And so on and so forth. So in human nature, we all, when we're told not to do something, um, either the um, flesh comes out and we say, who do you think you are to tell me that? Or by the grace of God working in your life, you'll submit to it and you'll learn to, um, uh, you know, walk in step with the, with the law and the rules and allow it to shape you and conform you into the image of Christ. Um, so, so anyway, we, uh, we're, we're entering to the part of the law. And the good news is, you know, we, we have stated um, a while back that, um, that, that sometimes the bad news has to be shared so that we see the truth about how bad our situation is. But God doesn't leave it um, like that. Um, there's good news and that good news is in Christ. The good news is that as he sent a law to show us our sin, he's also sent a mediator, a redeemer, and a savior to rescue us from our sin. And so as we look at the law as a mirror and we see that we don't measure up on the outside and the closer we look at the law, we realize that there's a reason we don't measure up on the outside 
is because the the heartbeat inside of us is is it's an internal problem also and that um that heartbeat inside of us um is going to continue to drive us to make mistakes so we need a savior a redeemer a, a mediator that can impact who we are on the inside so that the seed is um changed so that we can live out um, the way of, of, of righteousness and by, by faith. Um, and so anyway, we're moving through that process from the first Adam to the second Adam, and, and, and we're looking at the law here. So what I would like to do, all of these questions, um, they, they kind of, he kind of leads up to them. He asks the question and then he, um, he follows up with them, but I will for a second, we'll give a little bit of comic relief here um that i was thinking about is um today joe burrow will attempt to 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 win a super bowl and so just for for sakes of louisiana um um football and tradition um there's a i think three saints players that have was last year pulled up into cincinnati and um and um of course and the Saints, um, they, we, you know, they always the 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 chant or the thing that's that's key to the Saints is they'll say, "Who they talking about beating them Saints?" And all the people will say, "Who that? Who that?" And then, "Who they talking about beating them Saints?" And all the people say, "Who that? Who that?" Well, some of these Saints people, from my understanding, have brought "Who Day" D E Y there and. I haven't heard them monopolize the um the the chant the, the same way the Saints do it, but it's kind of a neat story that that Burrows over there. We were around town last night, and there I, I I said to a group, it seems like people think that their team is in the uh, Super Bowl down here in Baton Rouge, but my point of that is um as we look at these six questions, four of them uses the, the, the wording when he asked the question um, in, in the ESV, in, in the ESV, it uses by no means. And I was just thinking about that and those questions and how his answer is by those, by no means. Um, some of the other options is, um, is uh, I think the, NI, the um, NIV and the New King James uses certainly not, or of course not as another version, or may it never be. God forbid, or absolutely not. These these are ones, but I wanted us to read through four of these questions um, this morning. Let me make sure I have have um. I see them keyed up here. I think I had them there. I may have to just look at it. But if you look at the questions, the first question we dealt with already is in is in Romans six one, and this is what I wanted you to think about this morning as we do our little chant to get in, into the text. In 6.1, he asked the question, what shall we say then? And the people, uh, he said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the people said, by no means, by no means. And then in 6.15, um, he asked the question, what then are we to sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace. And the people said, by no means, by no means. And then here, our question today in 7-7, seven, seven, um, he says, what then shall we say that the law is sin? And the people said, <laughs> it's all going to be, by no means, by no means. And, um, and, and verse 13 says, did, did that which is good, did bring death to me? And the people said, by no means by no means so we're uh i did say a little prayer i'm not doing idol worship but i did say a little prayer for joe joe that he's not nervous and that he plays a good game today i've always told my kids you know the one thing i was taught in sportsmanship is just play your best you know and uh i feel like if they play their best they have a great chance of coming home super bowl champs so that's what we hope for that they do that um all right. So, any um, body got anything they need to share before we move into the text? Well, um, a fun, a fun 
um, little fact real quick before we look at it is in our text, I was doing some adding up in our text that we're doing from life, from death to life, from, um, from Romans 5, 12 to Acts 8, 11. Um, it's it, it, cause what we're transitioning here in these uh, last three questions is we're, well, we did one, two, yeah, these last three questions, what we're transitioning is from Paul his style of speaking or writing is, is transitioning from, um, from a teacher to a, a personal, to more of a personal. And so he starts to use an excessive amount of personal pronouns um, at the part of the text. Um, um, but he starts to use an excessive uh, number of, of pronouns. And one other place that I saw that Paul did this, and there's sort of a rule when you start looking at what is um, canon in scripture is um, there's no scripture really where a man exalts his own personal experience. And it's really been accepted as canon. Paul is probably the exception to the rule here, but the only other place I've seen where he, possibly use his personal pronouns more than what we're fixing to look at here in, in chapter seven is um, in second Corinthians 11 and second Corinthians 12. And even he finishes up in 13, but in second Corinthians 11, he uses I myself or me. He uses them 58 times and second Corinthians 12, 57 times, which is a total of 115 times that he uses it in second Corinthians. And when you read that, if you go back and read second Corinthians 11 and 12, he's talking about, there's some false apostles that have kind of come in and they're trying to take um, credit for the, 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 the group of people Paul's put together and the success they're having in the Lord. And, um, and so he comes back and, and the Corinthian church has got their attention on other people in their resume and, um, and they're being led astray. They're following a different Christ, a different gospel. And Paul is, is, is calling them out on that. But he has to defend the knowledge and wisdom God has given to him um, and, and the suffering he's, he's for, um, suffered for the sake of the gospel. And so he goes on this, this, this rant of um, I'm, I'm more this, I'm more that, I've done more this, I've done more that. And all in the background, he's saying, but this is all foolish because anything we've done of any value has come from Christ. And, and but I'm, I'm trying to help you to, to get you focused on God has equipped you with the best, the best teaching and quit forsaking it for something that's lesser than that. But here in Romans 7, um, from set verses 7 to 25, starting with the question we have today, 49 times he's going to use personal pronouns. So this week and next week, we'll kind of unpack that. What's extremely unique about him using these personal pronouns in this case is that it serves as some of the most unique scripture that we have available to us because it, it does two things. It gets to the heart of the matter of our sin problem. And because he uses I, me, myself, and I, as you read this text that we're fixing to read and the text of next weekend, um, you start confessing, you know, if, you know, like when we play football, sometimes we say our team won, we won today. I can't believe we won. And we make that football game personal in this same situation while paul is still teaching us something about going from death to life and the key to it um and the struggle and, and and specifically what he's speaking about before the the life part starts in romans 8 but as we finish out this chapter he's getting up close and personal with how bad the sin problem is and how it's at the core of his being. And so he gets very personal. He doesn't talk in abstract um, language and all that kind of stuff. He gets very personal. So let's um, let's jump into the text. I think I, I covered the things that I, I wanted to cover there. Um, I want to, to back up make sure I didn't miss anything. I want to back up. We'll have three main purposes to, I mean, points today. Um, I think I wrote them all is um, what's the purpose of the law will be one idea. 
and how the law reveals our outward acts and our inward acts. Um, some examples of that is the outward acts would be like murder and adultery and the inward acts would be like anger and lust. And so I'll, um, let me get my notes out of here. I, we'll, we'll unpack a few texts um, and I'll send you out a text list for this week that I would encourage you to potentially uh, kind of revisit it. Um, one of the things that I think is so important to getting um, from our knower, the, the information to get it from our knower down into our bloodstream is we have to revisit the stuff. So like I said, I'm gonna send out a text chain and every time you read a verse or two, it creates a thought. And so we, we wanna make sure that we're meditating on God's word. So I'll send that out um, after we get done. And um, hopefully Monday through Friday this week, you'll um, meditate on that a little bit and, uh, and further, um, just let, let it saturate it in, into your heart, what we were talking about this morning. So this question in seven, what I want to do is I want to remind us how the key of last week started. So I'm going to read Romans um, 7, 4. And uh, he had gave the picture about marriage. And the key idea of the picture of marriage was that a woman was married to one husband and there was a situation arising where she needed to be connected to a second husband. And we see that as sort of the first Adam, the second Adam, or the law, and to be able to um, get a new heart and have grace. And so his, his end statement there that ties it all together, that's the kind of key to understanding the question is in verse four, he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God. So we see that when it says that um, him who has been raised from the dead is, is Christ and the reason for all of that to be um, bound to another and creating a situation that you can be bound to another is so that you may bear fruit from God. Where I wanna start up our lesson this morning, that's where we finished off kind of last week, but I want to revisit this verse five, which I think is very important to what we're trying to look at this morning is it says, for while we were living in the flesh. So when the Bible is using flesh, we're, we're generally, we're talking about old man, new man, flesh or spirit. And we're talking about the sin nature or the new nature. So the language interchanges a little bit. But in this case, when he says, for while we were living in the flesh, He's talking about God's grace has moved on us in such a way that we are we are walking as believers now, but we we did live in the flesh. And, and there's different texts that talks about what we call it the BC days before Christ, before you knew Christ. Um, and then you after after death days is you came to know Christ and everything has changed because something at the core of your being has been invested. And, and you have a different heart with different desires. And so he says here, for while we were in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members to bear fruit for death. So we've went in verse four, there's something that happened to put us in a position to bear fruit for God, but he's remembering when that he was bearing fruit for death. And it was because the law was arousing sinful passions. I think about my kids as I try to lead them through life and grow them up. I have one particular kid that if I tell them, you know, you need to do this, don't you dare do that. They will listen to you. That verbal command will be enough. I have another one that when I say that to, they're kind of like, catch me if you can. And so I have to follow up with them and, and make sure that they know I'm watching and I mean business by action and not just by, by words. Um, so um, when the, when the, when the, uh, the law comes at us, we are responding in one way or another. Um, one of the things um, that I've, I've, I've learned to focus in as I've been reading these confessions and creeds, and I've heard it before is when you are evangelizing or when you are discipling, how much weight does the word of God have in that? Um, you know, sometimes people say if the Holy Spirit doesn't open someone's heart, if the Holy Spirit doesn't help me speak to you this morning, that um, 
that we're in trouble, that, that God's not really going to do nothing. He's not going to really accomplish anything. But in the same, and that's true, but in the same aspect, using God's word is important because God's word has more weight than, than my words or anybody else's words. It, it, using it and, and believing that God's word will actually do something, believing that communicating the gospel as, as prescribed through the Bible means something. And so we speak the word of God, believing that God will open people's eyes, ears, and heart to it, and that it'll be a seed of life that will bring people from, from death to life and from darkness to light. So in verse six, but now we are released from the law. He's re-emphasizing that, that in the, in the born again, Christian state, new birth um, in the spirit, we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive which in a lot of ways was our old sin nature, but it was also the guilt and shame from any outward acts. We'll just use adultery and murder in this situation, which I hope none of you guys are actually adulterous murderers, but, but, but you get the idea. That's an outward act that we, you know, we talked about David and, and those things where he did both of those um, in our study in Psalms 51. But, but, but um, have, having released from the law, having died to which um, held us captive um, so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And so here we're specifically talking about um, the law was, was a tutor or steward to guide us in the right way. And, um, but now Christ is actually in our heart. There's a law written on our heart and we are, um, we're, we're driven by the spirit to, to do things. God, I always think of, for some reason, this real simple thing, you're at Walmart or some grocery store in the parking lot and you're kind of just there and someone walks by and throws trash on the ground or, or they leave their cart in a place that's going to, the wind's going to roll and hit somebody's car and something inside of you just decides, you know, that you're going to go put that cart up or you're going to put that trash up. That's just in a, a simple way to consider when the spirit comes in you and gives you a new heart and new right new and right desires you just start to think different after death um, than before christ you just you get the holy ghost in you, you get the spirit of christ in you and um and they're just there's just some things different this core so we're at our question in romans 7 7 what then shall we say that the law is sin by no means by no means it um, at our church, they pick on, um, we have bayous around, um, Louisiana. And, uh, they say, if you do certain things, you're going to be fishing on by yourself, you know, and they'll play on that. So I thought about that when it says by no means, but it says yet, if, if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. So take a moment to think about that this morning. You know, when we're looking at what is the purpose of the law, I think one of the big stumbling things we have with the law is that we think that the law is going to actually um, give us the ability to, um, to, to do the right things. Um, the law serves as instructions. It opens our eyes, but it doesn't necessarily give us the ability. So when we look at the law and our nature is still fallen, and we have not interacted with the grace of God to give us a new heart with new and right desires, then we, we're actually sort of in a worse situation because at least before we didn't know that most of the things we were doing were so bad. Uh, but now we, we are without excuse. We know that, that what we want to do, what we desire to do in our fallen nature is, um, is condemnable. Um, and so it says, yet it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Um, so let's take just a, a, a brief look at this. And this is why I've been using murder and adultery. I know Paul sent out a text this week in regard to, um, let's see if I have my notes here. He sent out a text this week in regard to a person writing a, a book on um, on sexual sin and, and morality and stuff of that nature, um, we just came off of the Psalms 51 text where we we looked at um, David working through the repentance of um, 
with David and Bathsheba. And so I wanted to read a few texts, and these are the verses I'll send out this, this evening to you guys. But as we're in Romans 7, I want you to think about Exodus 20, 17, where the Ten Commandments is. And I just want you to think about the Ten Commandments for a second. But the last of the Tenth Commandment, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife. So keyword neighbor's wife or the or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or the donkey or anything that is that is your neighbor's. Um, and so what did David do? Um, he coveted his neighbor's wife. Um, and then we're dealing with this morning that Paul says, I would not have known coveting was wrong if the law had not said, do not covet. And um, and so um, in Matthew 5, 17, 18, and then we'll look at Matthew 5, 27, 28, which is the Sermon of the Mount. When Jesus comes, he steps up the Ten Commandments in two specific ways in dealing with both of those things, um, uh, murder and adultery. But in Matthew 5, 17, 18, I want you to, this is a transitional verse. It says, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, um, from the law, earth will not, will not pass from the law until all is accomplished. Um, so, in, in Matthew 27, 28 is when we get to where we're dealing with, with lust and adultery. And it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery in 27. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery within her heart. So what I want us to see as we look at this text, that the, there's the purpose of the law, but, the, but as a mirror, the thing is, is it reveals outward sin, adultery and murder. Um, you know, if everybody could freely go out and, and, and have and commit adultery and murder, um, we would have total chaos, you know, in, in society. Um, so there's there's that outward restraining of acts. But Jesus steps it up and he says, you know, that the fullest intent of the law is not just to deal with um, murder and, a, and, a, and um, an adultery, but to deal with the, the seed inside of a man that produces those things eventually. And so he talks about how if you're angry at a brother, that that seed will eventually come out and it will, um, it will you know, lead to some form of murder. Um, you might holler at them, cuss them, beat them up, whatever, but it can lead to murder. In the same way, if you lust after a woman in your heart, it, it, you've committed adultery with her in, in, in your heart. And so when we're looking at how the law is good and how it can help you, um, and Paul is just simply saying, you know, by no means, how would have I known that it was sin to covet if the law wouldn't have called out? Like if you think about when Nathan, when, um, when David did what he did with Bathsheba, he was going on with life. And not until Nathan came and said, what you've done as is very wrong. And he gives this example of the one little lamb. And he, he said, he makes it judgment against himself. He says, whoever that is, is completely wicked. And he, he, he breaks it down to say, this is you and what you've done with this woman. This is what you've done. But I want to give you uh, just a couple more texts in Hebrews um, 4, 12 and 13, which is a famous scripture. It, you know, and then I want you to hear the second part of this. In 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than two, any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul of, of, and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. And so, the idea of the law, as far as the bad news, the law has the ability of opening our eyes, our ears, and our heart to seeing just how bad it is. And that we should not run from the truth of how bad it is, because as we read in the first question, it, 
you know, they said, shall we, shall we continue to sin so grace may abound? But we looked at the picture that no matter how much, how sinful, how bad you are, God's grace is able to rescue you. Um, so here we see the word, you know, two-edged sword doing surgery. And so it's up to us when we think in the Ten Commandments, one of the commitments is, is to, 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 to have a form of submission. One is have no other gods, and the other one is honor your father and mother. So this honoring the word God or your parents has a has a indication of how you will respond to correction. Are you a person that when you're told wrong, that you humbly accept that and you allow the truth of calling out that wrongness to change who you are? Or do you, like in Genesis 3, um, hide your wrongdoing, um, you know, make excuses for your wrongdoing and try to cover it up? That's the nature of the fallen man. And so we want to, to, to let the law claim that as guilty, and we want to die to that, and we want God's grace to create newness and life in us so that we would be a new creation. The other text is in Matthew 15, 10, 11, where Jesus deals with this, and I summed it up a little bit. I'm going to cut a few little parts out, but in, in Matthew 15, 10 and 11, it says, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. And then it picks up in verse 16 to 20. It says, and he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So he's given us this picture where these Pharisees are cleaning the cup and they're having some problems with Jesus's disciples, not doing those traditions. But he says, you know, if you eat from a dirty cup, it's, it's going to work out for you. But, but, but it's what's in your heart that comes out those those hateful thoughts those things of anger those those things of 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 lust you know sticking with the the idea there but psalms 51 6 and verses 10 and 11 is going back to david in that psalms 51 and i want you to draw your attention to these two verses in six it says behold you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. My point here is that I want us to see what's the purpose of the law? How does the law restrain us from outward acts like adultery and murder and theft? And then I want us to see that if we're humble and come to the Lord and we submit to him, his law wants to do more than that. It wants to make itself known as a two-edged sword um, that can give you great insight to, to where your sin is and what your problems are. And here, David, we see, we talked about in Psalms 51, that Psalms 51, um, there was no forgiveness for sins, for intentional sins. And, and David had done one of adultery and murder. He was in a lot of hot water. And the fact that he was willing to ask for forgiveness was actually pretty, um, pretty amazing. But what he specifically said in these verses here is he's speaking to this inward man. He says, behold, you delight and truth in the inward being, and you teach wisdom in the secret heart. He's realizing that the lack of wisdom in the secret heart is, 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 is part of the problem of why he's in the situation that he's in, why he did what he did. And in verse 51, 10 to 11, he says, his request is creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. When we look at the purpose of the law, the purpose of the law, if we realize and understand it, is to bring us to this place where we 
do have a clean heart created in us. We do have a, a right spirit renewed in us, and we are not cast away from the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we're coming and, and drawing near to him. Just two last verses before we finish our text, just for remembrance, as we're going from Adam, the first head, to Jesus, the second head. So I just want to remind you that in Genesis 2.25, the last verse of chapter 2 says, and the man and the wife were naked and were not ashamed. And then I want you to look at the text of Genesis 3, 7 to 11. And let's look at when the first man sinned, what was his, his response? And he says, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This is where they're covering up their sin. And they, verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. So they've covered up and they've hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. This is the absolute thing we don't want to do, right? That they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Verse nine, but the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Um, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So he's, he's moved from being comfortable with God and secure with God to afraid of God because of sin. And he said, I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Um, one thing that really impresses me on this part is what we fail to realize when, when, when you hear this Satan statement, people don't know who they are in Christ. You're never going to be perfect. Adam wasn't perfect, but, but there's a right relationship with God where God sees you naked, but you're unashamed because there's such a familiarity or a, a comfortableness. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So hopefully that little path of text, um, you know, of journey um, helped frame up. So let's look at these last verses here, picking back up in eight. And he's going to kind of give about two more thoughts. He says, but sin, season and opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Um, if you look back where we started in verse five, it's the same idea where it says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were work and the members to bear fruit for death. So he is personally saying that, um, that when it, He's, did I read the whole, but since he's an opportunity through the commandment, producing me all kinds of covenants. So how many of you can relate to that, that as soon as someone says, don't do that, don't look this way, don't do this or that, immediately something within you is aroused and you want to do it. You know, sometimes you do it in ab absolute defiance. You know, he's not going to tell me that, but this is the nature. This is the idea of how how the law arouses our sinful passions and lets us know that it's there. Let us know that that sin nature, that fallen nature, that old man has a pulse. And if we don't fight it and put it to death, it'll try to um, drive us into sin. And so um, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was one, and that is in the, when we were in 512, it states that it gives this time frame from Adam to Moses, the, the law that came in at Mount Sinai, he says that that why there was this time frame where there wasn't no law and that was different, but the 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 seed of death still reigned, just not to the same degree as when the law came. So now Paul is looking at okay, now that the law has got here, now what? And so in verse nine he says. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin season and opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. And then he's going to make a final statement on this. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So he's saying, I would have known of sin. He's saying, look, when I heard the law, I was messed up in my heart. I, I wanted to do more sin. I was, you know, and then, but, but he's still saying that the law is holy. 
So we'll finish up with the question for next week um, in verse 13. It says, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and that through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. So this last statement, this, this um, answer here, and it's a transitional from ending this week and starting next week is, is this reality. Um, and I, I just love the way that first verse says it in five, where it says, for while we were in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were in work, at work. And so we see the struggle. And as we think about unconverted people, um, I, I, you know, I, I think about many of people, I won't give too many examples, but, but um, there are people that when they hear the law, when they hear the gospel, um, it brings about a rebellious spirit in them. It, 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 it brings about that attitude of, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And they'll speak out to that. They'll speak negative towards Christianity and, and different things. Um, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I think we should pray. And I think when we need to ask God to open doors that we can kind of help people see the purpose of the law. Um, God's, you know, a lot of people don't like the fact that God says that we're messed up without him. You know, that, that some people want to believe that we're good at heart. And that if we just have better instructions, um, we'll do better um, and we'll get it right. But even if that was true, you know, the Bible speaks to us that even if we were amazing from here on out, it wouldn't be good enough. The standard is just too high. And so our hope is found in submitting into the fact that we are broken, that we are fallen. It's really bad, but that God's grace abounds all the much more, that there is no one that he cannot um, get into their heart and change who they are, where they will go from um, desiring to do what they shouldn't do to desiring to do what they should do. So I'm going to shut up with that. Um, next week, we'll kind of pick up with that question in 13. Um, I don't know if we'll read all the way to the end. I think we're going to try to do that and we'll finish up the following week in eight. We'll just see how it, how it goes. But, um, but any thoughts, questions, answers, comments? Um, you're thinking, um, what I would just say, though, recapping the three points this, this morning is that um, what's the purpose of the law? And we have common grace, grace in the sense that uh, see, we, we have common grace in the sense that um, if we didn't have a law to not covet a man's wife or not to commit adultery, we'd have a mess. You know, if there was no consequences for someone raping a beautiful woman, we would have an absolute, you know, mess. So thank God that 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 even the um, unsaved listen to the um, law of God to some degree or another. But our greatest hope is finding is coming humbly before the Lord and saying, "Write your law on my heart. Show me my hidden sin and um, conform me into your image." So. All right, guys, Rusty or Paul, what, what you think? One, one thing I came across, can you hear me? Yeah. You can hear me? Okay, yeah, one thing I came across that talks about the, the part where he says that once I was alive, apart from the law, but I came across some other, uh, something else that says that when he was, a, when he was alive, when Paul was alive, apart from the law was when he was a baby, and he was, at that time, he was too young to understand. But yeah. once he learned, once he learned the law, the sinful nature inside of him found a way to express itself and by rebelling. Right. Yeah. And that's a good point. And, and like, as you read to this point, you know, there in, in 512, the first little verses, they speak about that, uh, this idea a couple, couple times. Um, I think in Romans 2, he speaks about that too. What do you think, Paul? 
Oh, I kind of jumped ahead one on your uh, on the catechism, the 96. It says, what particular use is there of the moral law to unregenerate men? And the answer it gives is the moral law is of the use to unregenerate men to awaken their consciences, to flee from the wrath to come and to drive them to Christ or upon their continuance in the estate and way and the way of sin to leave them inexcusable and under the curse thereof. So what that kind of made me think of is when I was young growing up and I was in a Catholic church, but then I, I remember having, I remember going to Denham Springs high school in like eighth or ninth grade. And they had a, actually had a revival in the high school gym. A pastor came in, I can't remember who it was, but, but just back then it just seemed like you heard a lot of, uh, what people would call today fire and brimstone preaching and people and people just don't do that anymore and all they talk about is the love of christ which is awesome and we should it should be talked about all the time but just reading this answer makes me think is it maybe not a good thing that there's zero or or, or almost virtually zero no you know fire and brimstone type preaching to to get you know it's not like you really want unregenerate or, or unsaved people to obviously come to Christ just because of fear, but that is a part of it that originally directs them. And, and the answer to this question kind of points that out that, you know, the scholars that, that, that wrote this catechism felt that same way too. So I just, um, I just want y'all's thoughts on that on, on, on do you think the church today is, as a whole, I mean, obviously we're getting off course on a lot of things because we're so many secret friendly churches that pastors are probably scared to preach on this because they're afraid they're going to lose, you know, turn people away. But I think that's part of, of what the law is too, is, is to reveal our sin to it. But that, that revelation of our sin, I think, and, and the penalty of, of not acting upon the prompting of the Holy Spirit needs to still be preached today. So there should be a reverent fear of the consequences of making a decision once you're called not to um, turn to Christ. So what do y'all think about that? Um, anybody? I don't hear you, Mr. Wayne. Uh, let's see if I can hit that. There's a mute somewhere on on your thing. You have to find that mute. Yeah, I I, I found it. I found it. it didn't show up until you tried to speak to me just then. Okay. Okay. So you can hear me now. Yeah, I hear you. Yes. Yeah. I appreciate you introducing me to the group, and um, the reason that, as you said, my heart is in um, in helping the people that have turned to Christ to understand why they're struggling still. And uh, your, your whole conversation always points to people don't realize their sin nature. Um, man, by his sin nature, because of his created, where he was created, he has pride. We all have pride in ourselves. And when we, when we have pride in ourselves, we rebel against any authority over us. So even though people come to Christ and want to be loved, and want to be fulfilled in their promise for, for life, they still have this pride nature in them that rebels against being told what to do. And that, um, that leads to the disobedience. So that's another reason why, and I'm not I keep plugging this, but in, in the uh, Mind of Christ book by uh, Dr. T.W. Hunt, um, he explains how to look into your own heart Discover what's motivating you to do and decide and make decisions and to do and to speak what you do. A lot has to do with your nature, your sin nature. And it's an instructive book on how to look into yourself and change what causes you to rebel against Christ instead of loving. Him. Yeah. And that, if you can get over that, that'll lead you to desire to follow him and to obey his laws, which are the same as God's laws, the Ten Commandments. My comment. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Good. Yeah, Paul. Um, <laughs> you know, we've 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 said. You know, I think for me, in a simple way, it starts with 
why do we not use, you know, the word sin and repentance? And I mean, if we're not using sin and repentance, um, we're surely not going to use the word hell. The reason I pointed out at the start of this study, and I've said it a couple of times as we've, we've been doing this study, is that in this text, we're looking at death to life is the ideal. It's going from we died in Adam to we're alive in Christ. Um, that's the theme there. But in that text, as Paul, the greatest theologian that we have in, in the Bible, he uses, um, you know, I think I shared this earlier, but he uses the word sin, trespass, transgression, or death 98 times in our passage. So in what we're studying over this eight weeks, a hundred times he uses sin and death to speak about the newness of life. The hope we have in Christ, he's laying that foundation with that. And so to, you know, some of these pastors, Spurgeon said it, Whitfield said it, but they talk about, um, and Paul said it in Ephesians, um, not Ephesians 20, but Acts 20, when he's talking to the Ephesians letters, uh, leaders, he says, um, as he's fixing to go to Jerusalem, he says, I have preached to you the whole counsel of God. You know, if we're going to disciple, if we're going to teach, if we're going to pastor, whatever we're going to do in that sense, we need to the best of our ability grow up and mature as, as leaders in the church to preach the whole counsel of God. And this is a great example of that. If all we do is tell the good news, we um, distort the gospel. We distort God's word because God doesn't hide the bad news. I mean, just look at the lives of David. I mean, if God hid the bad news about David, then what would we know about salvation? If he hid the bad news about Abraham or the bad news about the apostle Paul killing Christians before, you know, he, he actually, his heart was converted, persecuting the way. And so, um, you know, this, this, you know, we say to, to be in the world, um, how does it say it? Uh, but, but not in the world, but not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, you know, I'm, I'm afraid in, in 2022, we call it seeker friendly um, churches, or we call it a watered down gospel. But what's really going on, if that's the, the, the case, is that you've allowed the world to come into the church. And we're supposed to go out in the world and, and transform the world by the light of the gospel and the word of God and the power of Christ. Um, but when we are trying to be seeker friendly and worried about everybody's fallen nature consciousness, we're not being offensive. We're not taking ground for the gospel. We're giving up ground. And so when we stop talking about sin and repentance and death, and because you say that bad news to, to set a foundation for exploring the good news. And, um, and that's just the way the Bible does it. If you're trying to do it some way other than that, you're not doing it biblical. But this whole idea of the whole council, you know, nobody likes to give anyone bad news. And I just thought about, I thought about two examples this week about, you know, like as far as the purpose of the law, you know, um, let me see. Let me try to, if I find this, I'll, I'll just read it the way I wrote it. Um, cause it made, made sorts. This is what I wrote. Why you, you know, why are you, go ahead. Jump in. I was going to say, why are you looking? Like I said, yeah, I, 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 you know, I agree with what you're saying and that's the way I look at it. But in the last 20 years, if you've sat in at Greenville Springs, a meet healing place, wherever, or some of the podcasts, what percentage of the messages that are being spoken by different pastors contain any inkling of what we used to refer to as fire and brimstone, you know, about the, the severe consequences of, of your sin nature. And, and I, I think I can think of very few that uh, these days that talk about that. And I just, you know, I understand you know, you have to have both aspects incorporated to the message. Just like Mr. Wayne was saying, people don't realize their sinfulness. And in, until you can realize your wretchedness apart from Christ, you can't truly, you know, love, honor, thank, and, and worship him as he deserves. If you're not, if you don't have a, at least a partial grasp of, of where you are in the flesh, but 
I just don't hear that message anymore. And I don't, I don't personally think that's a good thing. Yeah. Amen. I, I'm with you. And, and what we can do, and that's, I think it's, it's, it simply can start with the fact when you think about what are you going to do as, as we've done the study, as we're doing this series, what are you going to do when it comes to, I'll just leave you the two words, sin and repentance and death. I'll give you three words. Um, is that, does that fundamentally have a place for us rightly understanding what God is doing the gospel on our, on our sake? And I can tell you this, there's no coincidence why in this short four chapters, um, it said 98 times back to what you're saying, how many pastors preach on the book of Romans in at all? You know, and and specifically, how many of them preach about Adam and what happened to us in the fall, and and how Christ, re, you know, reverses the curse in that sense. And so, if we were going to talk about that deal, this is the best section in Scripture to talk about it. And if it uses death and sin ninety-eight times, why is that not in our language? And so, I think realizing that, um, because I can just tell you. If you ask yourself, is Christ being exalted? Is the gospel being preached? If we are not calling people to repent, you know, and we're not acknowledging them. And, and what I was trying to show earlier is when I said, what's the purpose of the law and outward and inward? It's, it's, the, it's the scratching of the surface, the purpose of the law to hold back adultery and murder. Its purpose is to get all up in our business and deal with anger and lust. And then as we start to play big boy and deal with that, we start to see that the problem is worse than we originally anticipated that it was, and that there's nothing we can do about it. So when we cling to Christ, we're not clinging to Christ. Like the most average everyday man is not struggling with full out murder and adultery. And so if that's the only standard of the law, most people can kind of get through life and not kill anyone and not have an affair. But it's about more than that. Talk to men about have you ever lusted after a woman that's not your wife or someone that God had for you? And most men are guilty of that. Have you ever gotten mad at someone that pulled out in front of you in traffic? Most men, if I probably should just say all men are guilty of that. And so the purpose of the law is not to scratch the surface, but to get all up in your business and show you that without Christ, there is no hope. And if that is your perspective, you won't have no problem looking to Christ and clinging to Christ because he's the only choice on the table that you have available. And that we can enter into worship. We're not what, what patty cat. That's what our pastor says. Don't patty cat, you know, pat, patty clap you, but golf clap. But, but what ignites intense, passionate, wholehearted worship is, is realizing without a shadow of a doubt, we have no hope a part of Christ. And that's what talking about, about our sin and this kind of conversation. And, and when you say hellfire and brimstone, that has in our, our day a bad term, but also fundamentalism or legalism has a bad term. But my question is, was it really that fundamental? Was it really that legal? I mean, I don't have the ability to go in a time machine and go back and see what was actually pr practiced. But as we've seen liberalism kind of, um, or the flesh kind of evolve in society over the last 20 years, really what the culture has done is push back against the law of God and say, that's my business. What I do in behind closed doors is my business. And we've seen sexual immorality and certain things um, just just move forward, forward. And, um, and the law is what calls that guilty, and it calls it wrong. Um, so anyway, any any final thoughts? I think I cut you off, Mr. Wayne. Was there something you wanted to say? Yes? No? Did you hear me? Did you have anything, Mr. Wayne, you wanted to say? I think I cut you off. Well... Considering your comment, which is very important, um, the one the one thing that I'm missing what you said is what is your hope? And are, are you hoping just for peace on earth, or are you hoping for your everlasting life? 
And uh, that's something that has to be admitted to and um, desired by people following Christ. Amen. Well, this last thing I was I was looking at, I know we're running out of time, but I'm just going to tell you real quick is I, I said, is a COVID test or a cancer test, are those tests sinful? And I think the off the cuff answer would be no. And it says, do if do if they give you bad news, do they make you make does that make them sinful? Or if they give you good news, does that make them righteous? And And no. Are you glad that there is a test that can recognize if you have COVID or cancer? So I just want to leave that as a kind of a analogy for you to chew on when we're thinking about the, the law, the law, because that's what our question was this morning. Is the law then sin? No, the law is not sin. It's just a test to show you if you have the disease of the fallen nature or not. And, um, and it caused you to, you know, it can be an ongoing test. You know, um, I like to say this thing, I used to always say this you know, in the past, is check yourself where you wreck yourself. Um, the law is a test that as you read, it tells you if, you're, if your old man, your sinful nature is rising up and, and, and something you to, to do like what David did, take another man's wife or, or anything of that nature that's contrary to God's law, um, so, so the God, so the way he, he answers that at the end, um, is he says, so the law is holy, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So thank God that we have a COVID test, a cancer's test, a spiritual test that that can give us comfort and guide us through through the days. Um, any final thoughts? Just just real quick, something that came upon me when I was um kind of sharing the gospel with somebody at the last retreat I went on. It just kind of came to me and it kind of made sense. I think I'm going to keep using it, but you know, if you're familiar with like somebody that gets the death sentence in prison, they're in prison on death row, but sometimes their execution date may be three or four years down the road. And uh, they're referred to by the other prisoners as dead man walking. Now, they've been sentenced to death. They're dead, but there's just a time frame before they're actually Put in electric, you know, electric chair, lethal injection, whatever. So they're dead man walking. So, but during that uh, three-year, two-year, whatever period between time they're put on death row and their actual execution, there is a slim hope. In their case, um, a greater hope if you look at it in the in, in the sense of Christ, of their of their being them being redeemed from that sentence. Right. So, it came upon me when I was talking to this guy that. Because he was kind of a thuggish guy, you know, he had been in jail before. So I said, basically, we're born, we come into this world as babes, as dead men or dead women walking. We're spiritually and soon to be physically dead from the get-go. And our only hope of reprieve, like the governor or president giving you a pardon if you're in prison, is look is turning to Christ or, or, or accepting the grace of Christ. and. I think I'm going to keep using that because at least around certain people that understand what dead man walking means, but I don't know, it just came to me when I was talking to this guy and I was thinking, I think I'm going to keep trying to use that analogy because it makes sense that we come into this world, you know, these newborn babes. And, and, and of course there's a, there's a, a, a thought about the, the age of accountability if a child dies, of course, but, um, but as a kind of a, a broad analogy, we're, we come in this world as, as dead man walking. And so our only hope is, is to turn to the only one that can bring us from death to life. So uh, it seemed to work uh, with this guy that I talked to. He, he, he understood exactly what I was talking about once I kind of got into that, understood it. So anyway. Well, praise God. Well, uh, Mr. Wayne and Rusty, um, you know, we started this year with four points of, of prayer that, that we would see some people get saved, that we'd see new believers get, um, you know, discipled properly. People that once had served well in the church and have fallen away would get back on track um, and fruitful for the kingdom. And then believers that have fallen in a in serious sin would, uh, would repent and come back home. And we've been praying for those, and some of us have, have got four different We've been asking for faces for that name. And um, we've just been trying to be still and know that he's God 
and see things happen. And as I hear Paul talking about evangelizing there, and I have a few examples, and I hear other examples from other guys, prayer prayer works. Um, God will bring. You know, it's kind of like you said, the the harvest is um is um is 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 plentiful. The labors are few. Um, and, and I just think starting with prayer, you'd be shocked and surprised with the people God will put you in your path as you start to pray for those, those needs. And so our hope is at the end of 2022, that we not only have some faces, but see some lives change. You know, if, if, if by us, just pray, just praying, you bringing names to us and us praying for it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm trying to work a, a little bit of list where we can kind of have a little prayer list and we may spend a little time on some of our meetings praying for specific people on that. But, um, but anyway, um, Mr. Rusty, would you be okay with closing us in prayer? Sure. Well, Father God, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for uh, our time together and just wake up uh, on this morning and just to put you first and, I just thank uh, Dennis for the preparation that he puts into this and the, the messages that he sends out throughout the week to help keep us uh, accountable and to help us to uh, remember how special uh, Christ is. And we just uh, help us to be your hands and feet as we go out and help us help others to see uh, your image through our heart and help, our, help us to just uh, express to those uh, things that you've done in our life that uh, might help them to desire uh, the same walk that we might have and, and how, how good uh, Christ has been to us, Father. We just uh, pray for those that hasn't, that weren't able to join us today, and we just pray for those that are in need and just uh, help us to honor you each and every day. And uh, as we go about, just to thank you for the many blessings that you put in our life. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, have a great week. You too, Paul. Rusty, did you think you were that first denim and you knew Paul? At Amen. Is that what you said? Yes. Who, who's that? Were you at? Are you at? I'm first, at first down, but who? who, who? But you yeah, first down. Admit right. You yes. amen. Yeah, I, I knew Paul from Amy. Yes. Good. Well, all right, guys. So y'all have a good day. Let me know if you need anything. Brothers, thank you for letting me join your group. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Wayne. See you.